Hello and welcome. I'm Cody Mori and you're listening to Truth Triumphant Radio. Today on the show, I wanted to talk about, well, the topic really of treason and the Bible and what the Bible has to say about the topic of treason. And the reason why we're discussing this is because is as we look through uh, the world today, and I mean many, many more people than before, especially with uh, the coronavirus issue that's going around, um, has seen that clearly, clearly there's there's some type of underhanded agenda, some type of agenda, global, clearly global in proportions, that is going on not only in our country, but as I've said, globally. So it brings us back to this issue of treason. What is treason? Well, just to start off to give us uh, a definition to the word treason, treason, and this is according to the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, the original American Dictionary created by Noah Webster. <clears throat> and I'm selecting this this one because I believe it, it's, he gives a lot of information on what it means uh, not only in the United States, but in other countries. And it is still true to this very day. And in under treason, in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, it states this. Treason is the highest crime of a civil nature of which a man can be guilty. Its signification is different in different countries. In general, it is the offense of attempting to overthrow the government of the state to which the offender owes allegiance, or of betraying the state into the hands of a foreign power. Now, how, how many, before we continue on with that quote, how many powers do you know existing? Let's, let's just talk about the United States. How many powers do you know of existing in the United States today that are seeking, attempting to overthrow the government that we have and order uh, the ones in which they vow their allegiance, right? Um, in order to s supplant it with a new style government. I mean, you got, you got Antifa, which is going on right now. You've got the Muslim Brotherhood. If you, if you research into that, that's seeking to overthrow. I mean, a lot of Muslims that come, I mean, you can, you can call it racist. You can call it Islamophobia. You can call it whatever you like. But the fact of the matter is when Muslims, historically, when they move into a country, into an area, they begin to seek Sharia law, Sharia courts. It's just what happens. It's happening in Western Europe right now. And it's already started to happen here in the United States. That's that's qualifies right here as treason because it's trying to overthrow the government which is in place, right? So they can have their laws instead. Now, you have communism or socialism trying to saying that capitalism is evil. This is the this is what the founders set up. They set up a capitalistic society freedom-based, civil rights, weak federal government. That was the original intent. And today, 
we see, particularly on the left, but also on the right, and actually it might even be more dangerous on the right, because many times someone on the right will tell you they're going to do one thing and they do the exact opposite. Uh, they both really do the same things when they get in office. Trump seems to be uh, not f playing ball 100% as the others have in the past. But um, he does seem to play ball to a certain extent. But he, that's neither here nor there. You have, particularly on the left, just focusing on that, you have pushing, pushing, pushing for more federal government power, more safety nets, more entrenched, basically, like when you come food stamps, welfare, unemployment, all these safety nets that they want to put in place, and then this Green New Deal that they're trying to push now. All of this is, is an attempt to supplant the coronavirus also being used to supplant the civil liberties that this country first set up. By definition, that is treason. That's treason. Anytime someone says, I have to take away your rights for a while because of this reason or that reason, that's treason unless we're under martial law. That is treason. And keep in mind that when the founders wrote the Constitution, they had all sorts of pandemics going around in their day. Smallpox, tuberculosis, they had all sorts of diseases that they couldn't handle. There was, there's, no, there's no footnote in any of the constitutional amendments that says, you know, you, you have right to life, liberty, and property, etc. Um, you know, Congress shall make no law uh, prohibiting the free exercise of religion unless there's a, a global pandemic. It, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. So when you see people saying, oh, we have to take away your rights, your liberties, we have to regulate, we have to impose all these extra regulations on things so that technically it's still, you know, a, a right, but, but, you know, there's that but, we have all these regulations. That's treason. That's going against what the government had originally set up. And we have it going on to this very day. Um, but it goes on. In monarchies, the killing of the king or an attempt to take his life is treason. Okay, so when someone kills a president or attempts to take their life, that's treason. In England, to imagine or compass the death of the king or of the prince or of the queen consort or of their apparent of or of the heir apparent of the crown is high treason as are many other offenses created by statute okay so so lenin vladimir lenin stalin those guys those are high treasonists the jesuits and their assassins those are high treasonists how they were instrumental and Perhaps one day we'll look into it in the death of, for instance, John F. Kennedy, Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln is much easier to prove than JFK. Much easier to prove than JFK. Charles Chinnikay, 
wrote a book called 50 Years in the Church of Rome. He was a Roman Catholic priest and also a friend of Abraham Lincoln. He became a Protestant later. He talks about how the Jesuits of Rome killed Abraham Lincoln. One of the committee members that was involved in uh, hearing the hearings that went on after of the co-conspirators Mary Surratt and the others, his name was Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris. He wrote a book uh, in the late 1800s. This is the how's this for a title? Rome's responsibility for the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. That's the name of the book. Okay, so it was it was well on, and there's many others. There's Burke McCarty's book, uh, The Suppressed Truth About the Assassination of Abraham Lincoln. You can look into um, Jack Chick's uh, stuff on this. <clears throat> but anyway, so that would be considered high treason. So the Jesuits, when they were suppressed from all these countries starting in the late 1700s and throughout the 1800s, Spain, Catholic countries banned the Jesuits. Spain banned them three times. Three times, maybe more, actually. I think three times in the matter of about 10 years in the 1800s. And why did they do that? Because of sedition, because they were meddling in governmental affairs. Portugal was the first one to do it. And from there, they backed out and they started working through their secret societies. Instead, that way the, you couldn't pinpoint them directly anymore. But they were, they were banned from something like 60 different countries uh, from the 1700s to 1800s and on. And why? Because they were involved with high treason. They were involved with sedition and undermining the country in which they enjoyed their life, liberty, and property. And why? Because that's what they were told, that's what they were created to do. You have the Reformation on one side, Martin Luther, and people rediscovering the truth of the Bible, which, you know, you fast forward through all that. Uh, the American colonies, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution of the United States are the culmination of the Reformation's principles. That's what they are. But then on the other side, you had feudalism, which is basically fascism and communism. You, you have that whole system of the lords and then the peasants that was in what they call the Middle Ages, medieval times. You know, you had the knights and then you had the, the paupers. That's the Roman Catholic system. That's their system that they would like to have set up again in the world. So when the Jesuits were created and when they were commissioned, commissioned in 1540, they took the reins, the lead role, in something called the Counter-Reformation, which was designed to undo every, all the ground in which the Protestants were gaining. And that's what they have done. That's, that commission has never been revoked. It was by Pope John, or not, not John, but Pope Paul III. And that's been going on right up into modern times. And that's why they were suppressed that's why they were exiled from all these countries and now today they don't work openly like that they'll they work through they work through other means there they'll be a communist 
you know, someone like Lenin or they'll be a fascist, someone like Hitler. But they don't openly declare themselves to be Jesuits. Now, in the United States, going on with the quote here, in the United States, treason is confined to the actual levying of war against the United States or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Treason in Great Britain is of two kinds, high treason and petite treason. High treason is a crime that immediately affects the king or state, such as the offenses just enumerated. Petite treason involves a breach of fidelity, but affects individuals. Thus, for a wife to kill her husband, a servant, his master or lord, or an ecclesiastical, his lord or ordinary, is petite treason. But the United States, this crime is unknown. The killing in the latter cases being murder only. Now, backing up just a little bit, it says here, in the United States, treason is confined to the actual levying of war against the United States. So some group that tries to declare war against the United States, that would be treason, okay? Or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. So when someone is a full-blown communist, openly declaring they want communism like it was in Russia here in the United States, that's aiding and comforting a political system which would seek to subdue and destroy the government in which we have now, barely have now. That would be treason. And people don't understand this. If, if the founding fathers were here right now, there would be another revolution. They, they would not put up with this sort of rhetoric going on and all the different brands, all these people lying in political positions, just openly, how many people do you see are constant, they're, they're political leaders, there are leaders, and they're caught in lie after lie after lie after lie on both sides. The founding fathers never would have stood for this. But now, now that we're, now that we're about 15 minutes in, I want to take a look at First Kings and the issue of Solomon's treasonous brother, Adonijah. So I'm going to start in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, 32 through 35, and 49 through 53. And then we'll look at chapter 2. And we're, we're cutting out some of the other stuff here. And I actually might not even be able to read the full verses. I might just have to summarize a little bit. But... We're doing that to try to save on time. You can read the whole thing starting right there in chapter 1. So, starting in verse 5, it says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Just to give you some context, uh, King David um, is in his last years, really, uh, of life. He has already promised the kingdom to his son, Solomon. Okay, He already promised his kingdom to his son, Solomon. So this right here, according to our, uh, our definition there, this is already treason because he's exalting himself when the, 
the kingdom was never offered to him or given to him. And it says, And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he was also a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. Now Absalom did commit treason also. Absalom committed treason also. He was killed. He was eventually killed. And he conferred with, uh, verse 7, He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they following Adonijah helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and the mighty men which belonged to David, were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zeholeth, which is by Engrogel, Engrogel, and called all his brethren the king's sons, and all men of Judah the king's servants. But Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the mighty men, and Solomon his brother, he called not. So, take note of that. It's all no. It's well known throughout the kingdom that Solomon is the one to be king. But Adonijah, he doesn't call him to his 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 feast that he's having here, uh, in exalting himself. Really, a opening ceremony of some kind, where he is exalting himself as king. So now we're gonna. Interesting that he doesn't invite him. Jumping down to verse thirty-two through thirty-five, it says. And King David said, call me, uh, call me Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. And king, So uh, to summarize, Nathan, Bathsheba, they let King David know what's going on. So now he's responding to that. Uh, so going on, it says in verse 33, The king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your lord. And cause Solomon, my son, to ride upon mine own mule and bring him down to Gihon. So he has him uh, ride on his mule. Um, it says, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him their king over Israel and blow the, you the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. And then they shall come up after him and he may come and sit upon my throne for he shall be king in my stead. And I have appointed him to be the ruler over Israel and over Judah. So this is officially King David stepping down. Uh, now all the affairs of the king are going to be handed over to Solomon. So what is the response of Adonijah? Skipping down to verse 49, it says, Once they heard about all this, it says, And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. So essentially they they split up this meeting. It says, And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught horns on the altar. For those of you who don't know, given in the ceremonial law, uh, I believe it's in Leviticus. It might be in Numbers or Exodus. It could be there. But I believe it's in Leviticus where it specifically talks about uh, catching hold of the horns of the altar. If someone were to do that, they were basically requesting mercy. They were begging for mercy. So that's what it says. So Adonijah feared Solomon. He arose. So Adonijah the treasonist, right? He goes, catch the horns of the altar. He's begging for mercy. It says, it when, and it was told Solomon, in verse 51, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught 
hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. So he's begging for his life. Verse 52, And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not an hair of him fall to the earth. But he, if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. So Solomon spares him. Solomon spares him. But the story doesn't end there. Moving on in chapter 2, starting in verse 13, it says, And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And she said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. So now he's going to Solomon's mother. This is a little later on. And he said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, Say on. And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about, and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Interesting statement, isn't it? He basically claims that the kingdom's his, uh, but, you know, God didn't want it that way. So, I mean, it, it was almost like an afterthought to add that part, too, that, yeah, it was because of God. He, he says all these things, like, the kingdom was mine. It was, so in a way, you can tell just from the way it's worded that he hasn't really let go of this whole issue. He although he prayed and or asked for mercy from Solomon, clearly he still hung on to some sort of resentment over not being king himself. Uh, verse 16 it says, And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. And she said unto him, Say on. And he said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee nay, that he Give me Abishag the Shunammite to wife. Now, for those of you who don't know, if you read it just in the first uh, part of the chapter, chapter 1, Abishag was one of the wives of King David. Okay? So this is a, and this is a huge issue in the ancient world. Huge issue. Because in the ancient world, it is said that only a king can marry a king's uh, widow. Okay, you have to be a king, a king, not just royalty, but a king, in order to marry a widowed uh, wife of a former king. So this is a political move that he's making right now. It says, And Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. And Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon and speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and, he, and, sat down, and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. Then she sat on his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, my mother, for I will not say thee nay. And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah thy brother to wife. Listen to the response. And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? 
Ask for him the kingdom also? For he is mine elder brother, even for him, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. So clearly, clearly, Solomon recognizes the political implications that Anijah, Adonijah, his brother, is trying to, and he's using his own mother to try to get this all accomplished. It says in verse 23, Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Seems kind of harsh that Solomon's plan now is to kill his brother. Why? Because he's making a political move after he had already claimed to be king. He's making a political move to basically show himself that he is, well, in a way, moving, making political moves towards being king. That's what he's doing. And how, what is his response immediately? Not even a second thought. And remember, this is, this is who the Bible considers to be the wisest man, the wisest king of Israel ever, the wisest man to ever live. And immediately, he understands what's going on. And what's the response? Death. This is a very, very serious crime. A very serious crime. Uh, verse 24 it says, Now therefore, as the Lord liveth with hath established me, and set me on the throne of David my father, and who hath made me in house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, uh, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him that he died. Seems kind of harsh, right? But remember, remember the issue that we discussed. The political move that he was trying to make was to essentially declare himself king again. Uh, from I found an article here on uh, gotquestions.org on what was the true issue. I don't know much about the website, but uh, I found this interesting. It says, what was the true issue between Adonijah and Solomon over Abishag? It says, in those days of royal harems, taking possession of a king's concubine uh, was a declaration of one's right to the throne. This had been one of Absalom's methods when he had led a coup against David. Um, he has sexual relations with David's wives. That's what he does. That's what Absalom did. Since Abishag was considered part of David's harem, her marriage to Adonijah would have strengthened the usurper's claim to the throne. So, Solomon doesn't put up with it. And he's immediately put to death. Now, think about this in modern times. And we have a false understanding of compassion today. We really do. Treason is no small crime. It's no small crime. Think about this. 850 false prophets were killed, uh, led by Elijah the prophet in 1 Kings chapter uh, 18. You have Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They commit treason. Uh, 
against the government of God and against Moses. In Numbers chapter 16, it says that they were, the, they were men of renown. They were put to death by God. The, the, the earth opened up and swallowed them. You had Achan in Joshua chapter 7. He, he and his whole family was put to death. You had the Levites who joined Moses after the golden calf incident to execute justice. You find that in Exodus chapter 32. The leaders of the golden calf incident were put to death. Jezebel, who was undermining God's government in, in Israel, which was falling into idolatry more and more and more, she was, she was killed by Jehu on God's command in 2 Kings uh, chapter 9. You had the Pharisees who killed Jesus. They were condemned by Jesus. You had Judas. He was condemned. And then you, you, go, you go fast forward. You fast forward now to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. In the third angel's message, it says the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And it ends there by saying uh, in verse 12, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So treason against God's government again is going on. They're worshiping the beast and his image. That's what they're doing. And you think about these coups that go on. For instance, there was this man uh, from Rhodi in the Rhodesia incident where Rhodesia became Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe. He led a coup against the government. Uh, it failed. He was allowed to live. And what happened? He came back, did it again, took over, slaughtered uh, something like 20,000 people or more. Now you have Hitler. Hitler tried to do a tried a coup in the 1920s. It failed. He wrote the book Mein Kampf after that. And then he eventually rose to power. He did it again. He did it politically this time. He didn't try to overthrow with with guns and ammunition. This time he did it politically. They should have put him to death, don't you think? If we would put people to death who commit treason, high treason like this, then we would have much, much less problems. We really, really would. But we have a false sense of compassion. Uh, we have a sense that, oh no, you know, you got to give somebody a. Ch there are certain, there are certain crimes in the Bible, where it doesn't mean that you're going to hell. You know, it doesn't mean that you are you're going in the lake of fire. That's a better way of putting it. Um, if you confess your sins to God but you relinquish your right to be on this earth. They understood that. They understood that back then. Another example, you have um, Nelson Mandela. He was basically considered a terrorist. And then once he came out, he rose to power. Communism took over South, South Africa after that. So... These are high treasonists 
treasonous and high treasonous, they're allowed to go off scot-free. And what happens? They simply try again. That's how it works. So when we see these things, I'm not saying we go, we go on a witch hunt and start just massacring people. That's the, not, not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying this used to be a much more serious issue. It used to be a much more serious issue when someone was bad-mouthing um, America in general. When somebody was saying that the American dream, that capitalism is evil, you know, and all these different things and saying that we would be better if we had communists and we should get rid of the Constitution and all that. So that was a much more serious issue in the past than it is today. Burning American flags at these colleges and universities and things like that but anyways we're just about out of time we know we went a little over time today but i want to i want to finish with one quote and we got to remember folks who was the first true treasonist the first true treasonist was lucifer he's the first politician he's the first one who cast doubts upon the government of god uh from the book Christian Experience and Teachings of Ellen G. White, written in 1922, page 207. It states this, Satan has a large confederacy. Now, what's a confederacy before we go on any further? A confederacy is different groups that work together. So you have, for instance, you have the Jesuits. They work with the Freemasons and the KKK and the Knights of Malta and all these other secret societies. You have communism that works with atheism and evolution uh, and the gay agenda. You have the drug cartels and the mafias, Roman Catholicism, Islam, uh, paganism, socialism, fascism. All these things are working together to destroy Christianity, true Christianity, Bible, the Bible. So say, all that in mind, Satan has a large confederacy his church Christ calls them the synagogue of synagogue of Satan because the members are the children of sin the members of Satan's church have been constantly working to cast off the divine law and confuse the distinction between good and evil isn't that what we see good and evil cast in different lights right Satan is working with great power in and through the children of disobedience to exalt treason and apostasy as truth and loyalty. And that's what you see these cast in that light so often. And at this time, the power of his satanic inspiration is moving the living agencies to carry out the great rebellion against God that commenced in heaven. In other words, against God's law. So that's it. We are out of time. We hope uh, that this presentation was a blessing to you and that we will see you next time right here on Truth Triumphant Radio.